Hey guys, welcome back to episode 16 of the Mysterious Bendix Society Read Aloud Podcast, book 2. Today we'll be reading chapter 16, but first a recap of chapter 15. The children were met with a tin man at the hotel, but luckily right before things got too bad, Milligan showed up and took care of them. He explained how all this time he had been trying to catch up with the children, but uh, it had taken him a little bit. They stopped at an abandoned warehouse, and Kate and Milligan had a talk together about how worried they both were for each other. The children figured out that the island Mr. Benedict Number 2 went to can't be very far from the shore, so they should be able to catch up with him very quickly. And they went with Milligan to the roof to check things out, because even though he told them not to, Milligan doesn't take it very seriously. Um, so, let's read chapter 16. Chapter 16. The Boathouse Prisoner The door at the top of the stairs opened into a utility room. From there, a ladder and a second door led to the wide, flat roof. The children found Milligan at the roof's edge, peering through a spyglass he'd balanced atop the low wall there. "'You seem to have misunderstood me,' Milligan said in an even tone, without bothering to look at them. "'The stairs held you, so we figured they were sound,' Rennie said. Milligan grunted. "'For future reference, I walk lightly. Don't ever let that be your guide.' Rennie was unsure if Milligan was teasing him or not. He wouldn't be entirely surprised to learn that Milligan could walk on water. Have you found anything unusual? It's what I expected. Several docks and boathouses, a number of seagulls, and one well-dressed fellow with a briefcase. Kate took out her own spyglass and swept it along the wharf. Overhanging the entrance to one of the long docks was a sign that had been lettered in both Dutch and English. The English words read, Risker Waters Transport, Ocean Tours and Boat Rentals. A tin man stood beneath the sign, his briefcase at his feet and his eyes roving up and down the wharf. Every so often he turned to glance behind him toward the far end of the dock, where a grimy old yacht was moored beside a boathouse. "'I wonder why he keeps looking behind him,' Rennie said, when Kata passed him her spyglass and showed him where to point it. "'If he's just keeping an eye out for whoever shows up, why watch the boathouse? For that matter, why is he standing in plain sight, unless—' "'Unless he's guarding the exit,' said Milligan. Yes, he's keeping that man prisoner in the boathouse. What man? asked Rennie. The boathouse had a window, but from this angle he couldn't see through it. He came out a minute ago, just before you all so frigantly disobeyed me, and picked up a curtain that had been left at the door. He was staring toward the pen man as if he wanted to throttle him, but when the tin man glanced back at him, he scurried inside like a friend mouse. So what do we do? asked Sticky. I know, said Kate, nudging Millian and pointing to another warehouse roof much closer to the wharf. From over there, you can get the drop on the Tin Man with your tranquilizer gun. He'll be out like a light before he knows what hit him. Milligan shook his head. It's more complicated than that. See how close he's standing to the, uh, the, the dock? I can't risk it. He might fall into the water and drown. Kate looked at him cockeyed. Are you kidding? These guys are monsters. If that one fell into the water, it would serve him right. You may think you mean that, said Milligan, but you'll feel differently if it were to happen where you were responsible. We're not like them, Kate. That's the entire point of trying to stop them. I know we're not, Kate said irritably. She wanted to argue, but could tell it was a waste of time. Constance was not so easily convinced, however, and in her most strident tone, she said, So you just let him get away, like those guys in the hotel? Milligan rubbed his temples and explained, as patiently as he could, that he'd already alerted the authorities to the presence of the Tin Men in Thragabagan. The police of the hotel will be vigilant, I assure you. I don't just let them get away, but neither do I risk killing someone, not even a tin man, if I can think of a better option. 
So what's the better option? Kate asked. I'm still trying to think of it, Milligan admitted. I could lure him away from here, preferably to a place where I can engage him at my advantage. But then the prisoner may take the opportunity to flee, and I can't let that happen. He may have vital information. That's easy then, said Rennie. You draw the ten men away, and we'll run down and talk to the prisoner. That's out of the question, Milligan said. You won't be involved in this operation. End of discussion. It was not the end of the discussion, however, for the children set at once to arguing with Milligan, pursuing him across the roof and surrounding him and pestering him like honeybees after a bear. When the tin man gone, there'd be no danger, Rennie said. The clock was ticking, and every minute counted, Kate said. If he didn't let them do it, they would die on the spot, and it would be Milligan's fault, said Constance, who could think of nothing better to say. They'd post a lookout, Sticky said, and if something went wrong, they'd leave at once. The children said all this and great many other things, besides, generally speaking at the same time and raising their voices to be heard over one another. "'Enough!' Milligan said finally, clutching at his head as if someone had bludgeoned him. "'We'll compromise. You can hide nearby and keep an eye on the boathouse, but under no circumstances will you come out of the hiding, unless the prisoner appears and seems ready to run. Then, and only then, you may leave your hiding place to speak with him. Is that understood?' The children swore they understood, and they did. They understood that if something went wrong with Milligan's plan, if the tin man got away from him or radioed for help, they might never get a chance to speak with the man in the boathouse, and consequences for Mr. Benedictine Number 2 could be dire. So, although they understood it was Milligan's duty to keep them safe, they also understood that it was their own duty required to disobey him. It had begun to rain intermittently, fat drops of water so widely spaced one could almost count them. Though it was only mid-afternoon, the sky had grown quite dark, and pedestrian traffic along the wharf had cleared out, anticipating a heavy downpour that Constance said would not develop. The children were hurried under the awning of a tourist shop that had gone out of business. Milligan was behind the shop, picking the lock to the back door. Farther down the wharf, the tin man stood as before, headless of the rain. Rennie looked out over the water, muddy, gray, and troubled by raindrops, the perfect mirror to his mood. Waiting is never easy, especially when one faces a dangerous task. Even a few moments can't allow time to think and feel too much, and Rennie had bit quite a bit to think and feel. Not only was he struggling to keep his courage up and his dread at bay, but seeing how happy Kate was with Milligan around a given him a painful case of homesickness. Rennie missed Miss Permal's wire smile. Her teasing tones, the frequent hugs from her and Patty, and he missed the feeling of being safe at home, hardly even noticeable most days, a feeling he begun to take for granted. How he hoped he could make it take for granted again soon. At that very moment, Sticky happened to be gazing at the water, too. Like Rennie, he was every bit as wistful as he was nervous, and for much the same reasons. It was one of those rare occasions when two different people feel exactly the same way, at exactly the same moment, and somehow both boys sensed this. When at the sound of the front door unlocking, they turned and their eyes met. They smiled, however glumly, and nodded with a feeling of mutual understanding and appreciation. If they had to be anxious and homesick, at least they were anxious and homesick together. Milligan stepped aside to let them enter. Kate hustled right in, but the others needed a moment to recover from the surprise, for Milligan had considerably altered his appearance. He looked markedly shorter, his face seemed oddly puffy beneath the dissipated Fisher's hat, and when he grinned at them, two of his teeth shone gold. Under less urgent circumstances, he would have been peppered with questions about this transformation, but as it was, the children scurried silently into the empty shop. 
Kate was already at the far window, opening the dusty blinds a few inches and looking out through her spyglass. This will work, she said. I can see all the way down the wharf. Good. Now remember, Milligan said, even if the prisoner makes a run for it, you're not to leave this building if the Tin Man and I are still in view. If that happens, I'll handle the situation myself. It isn't my preference, but I can manage it as long as I'm not distracted with worrying about you. We get it, Milligan, said Kate, who knew too well the discomfort of worrying about someone you love. Now that her father was seconds away from a dangerous encounter, she began to grow very worried herself. All right, then. I'm off, said Milligan. Rennie, Sticky, and Constance wished him luck, and Kate hugged him. Not as fiercely as before, she was mindful of his cuts and bruises, but with a great deal of conviction. Until finally, Milligan had to unwrap her arms, he tweaked her chin, and went out. With the others at her heels, Kate ran to the window and poked her spyglass beneath the blinds. Milligan was walking slowly along the wharf. The tin man had already seen him coming, stooped to pick up his briefcase, and slipped the other hand inside his suit coat. He kept his hand hidden there as Milligan drew near. Kate couldn't tell if Milligan spoke or gave any kind of private signal, but the tin man studied him intently as he walked, past, and continued to study him after Milligan's back was to him. Milligan kept walking. The tin man glanced toward the boathouse and frowned. He checked his watch, then checked his other watch, and then, with a movement so quick Kate almost missed it, he took something out of his briefcase and slipped it inside his suit coat. "'What was that?' cried Sticky, startled. He had squeezed next to Kate at the window and was watching without benefit of his spyglass." "'I couldn't tell,' said Kate. Her pulse was pounding in her ears. With a final glance at the boathouse, the tin man set off along the wharf. Milligan, at this point, was nearing the far end of the wharf, heading for a group of outbuildings. But the tin man's stride was twice his, and by the time Milligan turned behind the outbuildings, the tin man was barely a dozen paces behind him. The tin man stopped abruptly, contemplating the corner of the building around which Milligan had disappeared. Spinning on his heel, he turned to take a different route, circling behind the buildings from the opposite direction.' Kate almost dropped her spyglass. He's sneaking up on Milligan. He's going the other way. I have to warn him. She whirled to race out, but Rennie was standing right behind her. Otherwise, he would have never been able to stop her. He threw his arms around her and held on as tightly as he could. Hold on, Kate. You don't know what Milligan has in mind. Maybe he expected the guy to do that. You can't risk messing up his plan. You... Kate had already freed herself from his grip. Rennie wasn't sure how, but he found himself on the ground with his arms empty and was almost at the door when she drew up short, his words sinking in. He was right, of course. She had no idea how Milligan did what he did. She might very well endanger him when she meant to help him. Difficult as it was, she would simply have to trust Milligan to take care of himself. You're right, Kay said with a resonant sigh. She hurried over and lifted Rennie to his feet. But when she tried to dust off his clothes, he empathetically protested. Really? You're fine? Good, let's go. With Constance on her back, Kate led the way along the wharf and down the long dock to the boathouse. Milligan and the Tin Man were nowhere to be seen. Kate dashed in through the boathouse door, then stopped in her tracks, throwing out her arm to prevent the boys, who were less adept to stopping in their tracks, from falling into the re empty rectangular of water that took up most of the room. The children looked quickly about. There were no boats in the boathouse, only the murky water and a walkway on three sides. At a table against the near wall sat a stunned-looking man who had been making pyramids out of canned goods. "'Who the devil are you?' he cried in English, leaping from his chair and toppling his pyramid, a slump-shouldered man with a face as round as a clock and covered with dark stubble. The boathouse prisoner was dressed in a dirty fisherman's clothes, and his black hair, sugar gray, hung about his face in long, greasy strands. He appeared not to have bathed or groomed in days. 
We're friends, Rennie said, as Sticky closed the door and Kate, with their spyglass, took up her position at the window. Friends? Ha! If that shadow let you in here, I know you ain't my friends. He didn't, said Rennie. We snuck in. The man's bloodshot eyes widened, and shoving Rennie aside, almost in fact knocking him over into the water, he went to the window and looked over Kate's shoulder. So he's gone, is he? Our friend left a way so we could talk to you, Rennie said. Don't worry, that man won't bother you anymore. Our friend will take care of that. The man looked askance at Rennie, sizing him up. He snorted deservedly and looked out of the window again. Your friend, eh? Well, too bad for your friend, whoever he is. I don't suppose he knows what he got himself into. With a shake of his head, the man sent to pacing, mumbling to himself. If the boy's telling the truth, though, now might be the time. But it wouldn't take him long, you know it wouldn't. And if he catches you making a break for it. He ran his fingers through his greasy hair and cursed in frustration. No risker, old boy. You'd better just wait to be sure. Give it a few minutes. Yes, three minutes, maybe four. He went over to look at Kate's shoulder again. Mr. Risker, said Rennie, please listen to me. You'll see soon enough that everything's all right. We're friends of Nick. Benedict, said Risker, waving him quiet. Oh, I know who you are. You just took me a minute to get fixed on things. I didn't expect a bunch of kids is all. Plus, there's only four of you, and he paid passage for six. Mr. Benedict paid for our passage, Constance said. Passage to where? To his confounded island, that's where. Some place I took him and his friend. Risker turned from the window to glare at her. He seemed too glad to have someone to glare at. Nothing but directions with that weird bird. Take them here, take them this and that. Tell no one else. I'll make it worth your while, blah, blah, blah. What's your problem? Constance demanded. My problem, Risker growled, is I've had nothing but misery since I got back. I wish I'd never met Benedict. I can tell you. And if you meet that fellow... He jerked his thumb in the direction of the dock entrance, where the tin man had stood guard. You'd be wishing the same thing enough. Rennie was growling very angrily. What did Mr. Benedict do? Offer to pay you more money once we arrived safely? Not enough for this, Risker snarled. He pointed to the empty rectangle of water. My rental boat set in twenty feet of water, and my yacht engine sabotaged. And here I sit with no business whatsoever, trapped in my own boathouse with nothing to eat but soup and beans. In a fit of fury, Risker swept the canned goods from the table. The cans tumbled noisily all over the floorboards and splashed into the water. Rennie tried to master his angler. This man was obviously in a pitiful state. Provoking him would only make things worse. "'We're sorry for your trouble,' he said in a calmer voice. "'But things will be better for you now, and we really need your help. Our friends are in danger, and—' "'Join the club,' Risker said with a sneer. He squinted out the window, craning his head this way and that for a better view in each direction. Two more minutes and I'm gone.' But all we want is information, Rennie said. Just tell us where the island is and what Mr. Benedict told you. Then we'll leave you alone. Is that so hard? Don't you get snippy with me. You don't know what I've been through, do you? The last time I gave out that information, I got myself electrified and cheated all at once. Big reward, they said. But I never saw any reward, did I? This is my reward, boy. Risker waved his arms about, indicating his boathouse prison. But even as he did, the fury seemed to pass from his face, his shoulders sagged, and he returned to staring out the window and muttering to himself. Held out a long time, too. Even with those shockers, I held out. Rennie bit his tongue. Risker was clearly ashamed, but he was the sort of person whose shame made him bitter and resentful. Saying the wrong thing would only set him more deeply against them. Rennie tried to find the right words. So you betrayed them, Kate said, glancing over her shoulder at the filthy man. 
Why not make up for it now and tell us what we want to know? Then you can stop feeling so bad about being a traitor. Risker stared at her, trembling violently, his red eyes bulging from his head. I'll tell you nothing! He shouted, and this time he grew so furious he overturned his table. It toppled into the water and drifted to the other side. Risker looked around at the children, his chest heaving. He shook his head and moved toward the door. No, no, I'm not even going to bother with you. Now is my chance, and I'm taking it. You can wait and find out what's happened to your friend. I'm leaving, and there's no way. Let's try it this way, Rennie said, taking something from his pocket. Risker, do you want this or not? Risker froze and fell silent, gaping at Rennie's outstretched palm, upon which rested a brilliant diamond. Even in the murky boathouse, the diamond twinkled like a dime-sized star. Stiggy gasped and put his hands to his head in disbelief. How did you get that, Rennie? Captain Nolan gave it to him, said Constance with a knowing expression. Kate was opening and closing her mouth in shocked indignation. Rennie, she said at last in a severe tone, you can't give that away. It doesn't belong to you. Maybe I will and maybe I won't, Rennie said, watching Risker's face. The other children's reactions were not lost on the man, whose eyes glinted hungrily as he stared at the sparkling stone. He stepped forward, but Rennie stepped back and stared directly into Risker's eyes. He held the diamond out over the water. Tell us what we want to know, he said firmly, and I'll give this to you. Hesitate five seconds and I'll drop it into the water. Your choice. Risker was taken aback. No, surely you wouldn't. Can it, it possibly be real? Of course it's real, Rennie said, and it was clear he meant it. And now I'll be counting. One. Hold on, Risker said. Don't be hasty now, boy. I can tell you what you mean to say. It's real, and you'll hand it over to me if I tell you everything, is that right? We're in agreement? Rennie nodded. Good then. Fine indeed. There's not so much to tell anyway. Why don't you just step away from the water first? Don't want to risk an accident, right? Don't want to drop... Three, Rennie said. Four. I was to take you to the island and give you a message, Risker said quickly. I can't take you there now, of course, but I can tell you where it is. I can tell you the exact place we were to land. This place I dropped your friends off. And the message was this. Follow the wind. That's all. I swear it. Follow the wind. The rest is just details. I happen to be fond of details, Rennie said. Now draw us a map. I've got nothing to draw with. Kate gave him a pen and paper from her bucket, then hurried back to the window. It seemed to her that too much time had passed, and her face was taut with worry. Risker drew a hasty map. I'm putting down the longitude and latitude, and I can sketch the eastern part of the island as I saw it, but I never went beyond the shore. I helped them unload their supplies. They brought enough for the whole lot of you. And then I left. I don't know anything else about it. That's a good start, Rennie said. Now give us the details and do it quick. Someone will be here soon, either the man in a suit or our friend. Either way, you'd better talk fast. Risker did. Their friends, he said, had come to him to some days earlier. After a long conversation, during which he got the impression he was being evaluated, Mr. Benedict had asked for passage to the island, and he and Risker had come to terms. Risker would take Mr. Benedict to number two, then return and wait for Mr. Benedict's friends to arrive. He would reserve his yacht for their arrival and speak to no one about the trip or the island. If all went arranged, Mr. Benedict would give him some money, more money later. To Risker, this seemed an arrangement easily kept. What he couldn't have known was that the men with briefcases would come knocking. They had a young woman with them, Risker said. From his description, the children knew it was Martina Crow. And their inquiries about Mr. Benedict were so cheerful and polite that he mentioned the island before he realized they weren't Mr. Benedict's friends at all. When he did begin to suspect, he clammed up, but it was too late. They knew what he knew, and they wanted to know. 
Must have had their own boat, Risker said. They could have taken my yacht easily. Instead, they sabotaged it and left it sitting out there, so things ain't suspicious to the port authorities. And whenever anyone comes by the dock, that shadow down there sizes them up. I've seen him do it, then sends them on their way. He tells them I'm ill, which ain't far from the truth now, I can tell you that. The situation was finally growing clear to Rennie. Mr. Bendick had decided he could trust Whisker, but he hadn't known he and Number Two were being followed, and so he hadn't imagined the man would come into such a terrible predicament. I didn't tell them everything, though, Whisker said. I didn't give them a message about the wind. They didn't ask about it. So that much, at least, I kept from them, he said, then called the Tin Man an unpleasant name. One last thing, said Rennie, who, like Kate, was growing extremely nervous about how long Milligan had been gone. Why did Mr. Middish come to you? The wharf is full of boats to her hire. Why you in particular? Did he give the reason? Risker's eyes narrowed. You ain't Benedict's own boy, are you? You seem to have that same kind of something going on. He dumped his forehead. Up here, I mean. When Rennie didn't answer, he thought it was best to remain instructable. Risker shrugged and said, He chose me because we had something in common, he said. First, I thought it was because we were both born here, but grew up somewhere else. But that wasn't what he meant, Rennie prompted. No, he said his parents were friends of my granddaddy, Hondi Reichenjire. That was my birth name, you see, D. Reichenjire. I changed it to Risker years ago. Your Brindick said he found he owed something to my granddaddy and wanted me to give some business by the way of showing gratitude. Wouldn't say more than that, and I didn't care. I was happy for the business is all. Sticky and Constance looked back and forth between Rennie and Risker, who had grown expectantly tense. His eyes fixed on the hand Rennie had held over the water. Rennie nodded, satisfied, and with one last distasteful glance at the diamond, he tossed it in Risker's direction. Risker was caught off guard. He hadn't expected Rennie to touch, toss such an invaluable thing. His eyes bulged, and with the fumbling hands, he snatched at the diamond in the air. It glanced off his fingertips and went skittering across the floorboards, toward the water. No! he shouted, lunging after it. A moment later, he had tumbled into the water, and a moment after that, he was drowning. Help! Risker gasped, floundering about. His thrashing arm sent up a terrible splash. I can't swim! In a smooth blur moment, Kate took her rope from the bucket and tossed one end out to him. Grab it, Risker! Grab the rope! Wild-eyed, Risker snatched at the rope and clung to it desperately. Kate pulled him over to the edge, and with great effort, he dragged himself up onto the floorboards, panting and cursing. I wonder why you didn't just swim out of here, Kate said as she recorded her rope. I guess this explains it. Risker stood up, water puddling at his feet. His chest heaved, his legs were shaky, and he looked terribly confused. He wanted to throttle Rennie for being so reckless with the diamond, but now he owed Kate his life, and throttling her companion wouldn't exactly do. Still trembling, he glanced out at the water that had nearly claimed him. With a frown, Risker wiped dripping eyes, water from his eyes, blinked a few times, and looked again. There was a glittering stone bobbing in the water like a fragment of ice. "'Why, that's no diamond!' Risker shouted. "'Diamonds don't float!' "'What do you know?' said Rennie, whose opinion of Captain Nolan had just improved somewhat. "'It's a fake!' "'But you said it was real!' Risker growled. "'Real, yes, but I never said it was a real diamond. I had no idea if it was a real diamond or not.' Risker's jaw dropped, and Sticky and Kate stared at Rennie mystified. Constance, however, was rolling her eyes. I'm not sure which is more ridiculous, she said, that you didn't know whether it was real or that you were going to give it to him without knowing. Saving Mr. Benedict number two isn't ridiculous, is it? Brinney replied, and with a nervous glance at Risker, he said quickly, Now let's go. We've already been here too long. I don't know what's keeping Milligan, but... At this, Kate's face clouded with worry. 
and she spun back to the window as Rennie moved to join the others near the door. He'd taken a great chance with Risker, who was still gaping at him dumbstruck, and he wanted to get out of the boathouse immediately, before the man could. Too late. Risker sprang forward and seized him by the arm. I don't like being tricked, boy, he snapped, his face contorted with fury. Maybe you'd like to see how it feels to splash around while everyone watches. Maybe you won't think you're so clever then. Before you do anything hasty, you might want to look outside, said Kate, breaking into a grin. She'd just seen Milligan striding toward the boathouse, briefcase in his hand, and as Risker peered out the window, she said, He's with us. We told you he'd take care of that tin man. Risker's anger and indignation seemed to drain right out of him. Fair trade, he said under his breath. He let go of Rennie's arm, then turned and leaned heavily against the wall. At least you've got that shadow off my back. Plus, Kate saved you from drowning, Constance pointed out. That too, said Risker, and after considering a moment, he said, We'll still call it even. Mm-hmm.